This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beach show. Monday night, one week away from the national championship game. It's going to be played right there behind me. It's SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California, in the Los Angeles area. Looking forward to seeing this stadium. Never been out there. Heard a lot of great things about it. Seen it a couple times when I was flying in LAX. Uh, looks like just a fantastic venue. Uh, a lot to talk about tonight. Obviously, we're going to recap George's fantastic 42 to 41 win i've been doing this 30 years that's definitely one of the top five football games i've ever been to in terms of just the drama uh the the scene the sights the comeback so much to that um and joining me tonight to recap that is mr chris doring from the sec network georgia fans know him as a uh a gator from the 1990s at one point the all-times touchdowns receptions leader in sec history a mark that was only recently broken was it Devonte smith chris is that right yeah Devonte got a 25 years though i felt like a lot longer than probably it should have lasted so i was grateful for what i got man yeah it was good it was a good run and of course now we see chris on the sec network with uh peter burns doing a lot of the sec morning shows recaps on the weekends I always enjoy the give and take. And um, Chris, today, though, you were actually on site uh, in Orlando for a a game. I mean, what a blow. I don't think anybody would have anticipated 63 to 7. What was your takeaways from today's Citrus Bowl? Look at me right here. I I, I look like I've been, you know, out at the beach or something, man. Direct sunlight for about four hours. It's maybe longer than that. Uh, you, you talked about the score. A, a crazy game to try to handicap. But I think nowadays when you try to figure out bowl games, it's, it's tough to uh, – LSU and Purdue both had a number of opt-outs. Both have transfer portal guys. Both the difference between SEC athleticism and physicality and size teams. I think it, the Big Ten, they have Ohio State and they have Michigan making a claim right now as to being a, a near close third. But, but uh, after that, it's athletes and, and far too much speed and athleticism for, for what uh, uh, Purdue rolled out. Yeah, well. Well, don't tell that to Tennessee because last year that – not the exact same Purdue team, obviously. And in all seriousness, I know that Purdue's uh, quarterback was out. I think a receiver. A lot of guys were out. But a, a statement from Brian Kelly. It doesn't have to be 63-7. to seven, And oftentimes you'll see coaches kind of slow it. Now, if that's Kirby Smart, you know, he's running the ball probably nine out of every ten, ten, ten times down the stretch and just letting the clock run. Was Brian Kelly, is, is he trying to make a statement, and did he make a statement? Ten-win season, um, was that the right way for Brian Kelly to cap it off? Now, remember, we're talking to somebody that played for Steve Spurrier in the fun and gun. It wasn't exactly like Spurrier let the clock run out in those games you used to play in either, Chris. Hey, off and jump back on real quick and see if that does Is it better? Yeah, we're going to check out Chris's audio here in a second. We've got a little bit of a delay. 
Um, we're going to come back, talk to Chris Dorn. We're going to talk about that incredible Georgia football game. 42-41 in Atlanta. The amazing part, I didn't see this till later, the clock's literally striking 12 as the ball's going wide. I mean, the timing was incredible. I don't know if you saw that compilation video of the, the New Year's ball dropping in the Eastern time zone at the same time that uh, the, the, the kid from Ohio State was trying the 50-yard field goal. It's hard to believe that game comes down to that kick after all the action that we saw. Georgia leading or trailing 38-24. I heard Urban Meyer say that he thought that game was over three different times. I'll be honest with you. I did too. I'm sitting there writing my story, and my lead said, I can tell you what my lead was going to say. Kirby Smart knew what was coming, but Georgia couldn't keep up offensively or match up defensively with Ohio State. That was what was on my computer at the end of the third quarter. And then everything changed. And I guess I'll ask Chris about that. We'll, we'll circle back to the LSU game a little bit later, Chris. But as you're watching Georgia and Ohio State, did you think it was over just like many of us did? Yeah. I mean, I thought uh, Georgia, uh, with how easily Ohio State was able to move up and down the field on offense, CJ and Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, was a difference maker. And I, I honestly believe that some of those issues in the secondary that uh, raised their head in that SEC championship game, but uh, a lot that I think, think that needs to be worked on in, in the back half when they go up against uh, receivers and a quarterback that can keep plays alive. Uh, there's certainly some type of matchup when we head to the national championship game, but um, CJ Stroud deserves a lot of that team on his back, even after Marvin Harrison went down. Uh, still tried to, to will them to be. Yeah, I, I don't, I just can't put Max Duggan in the same category. And I know that, you know, he's a gamer and he runs around and, and all this, but that's, that isn't what's going to beat Kirby Smart. When I think about the teams, I think about Bryce Young and I think about Joe Burrow. I think about even Mac Jones to some degree. I think about guys that could throw darts, that didn't give that secondary recovery time. I think about elite receivers that can get separation. And I saw where TCU rushed for, I want to say 260. That's not happening against Georgia. They're not running for 260 on Georgia. So I know that the spread scared a lot of people. 14 points is the largest, Chris, that we've ever seen in a championship game since the, the national championship was unified in 1998, 14-point spread. I'll be honest, didn't scare me off. Um, I, I just think Georgia's too much matchup-wise. What do you see in this matchup with TCU? It's a position that TCU used, used to be in, right, being the underdog, being a team that a little bit. Uh, I do think there is a, a significant talent game they played against the in Michigan on Saturday and what they'll play against uh, on Monday night against Georgia. That Michigan may have, have uh, learned something from last year in that matchup from Georgia, but uh, it, it just didn't necessarily translate to it. And, and if, if you're in the Big Ten, you, you play two games a year. If you're in that division, you play Michigan, whoever, one of those teams is going to play each other, and then they they're going to play Penn State, and that's, that's going to be the, the so Michigan you know, played nothing outside of, of the Big Ten schedule, and so I don't think that they were far more experienced, far more, more talented, far more uh, uh, battle-tested, especially I, I think it's going to be a, a huge mismatch as well. 
and uh, they they're not going to be able to like you said against uh, Georgia the way they did against Michigan. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either. And listen, I think Sonny Dykes has done a great job. I know he's one of the finalists for the Steve Spurrier Award. That's an award that that certainly you're familiar with. You actually jumped on and and, and sponsored it and and early on. And and I just got to tell people that's one of the great things about the SEC is when you've got alums like Chris, you, you see him proudly displaying his jersey in the background. And I'll tell you, we had that ceremony last year down there in Gainesville. And, you know, it wasn't just Chris. All, a lot of stars were there. Kevin Carter was there. Uh, Danny Werfel was there. Uh, Shane, uh, Shane was there. Shane Matthews was there. I mean, it was like a who's who of Gator greats to gather around Coach Spurrier, um, who I think is still a pretty relevant sports figure, Chris. And, um, I guess I would just ask you about your involvement in that award and just how much fun is it um, to see your head coach recognized like that? I give you a lot of credit, man. You were the one that kind of brought the uh, the idea to, to my mind. Um, you know, nothing more, more that I want to do than honor the guy that not only gave me a chance level, not only gave me a chance, again, to revitalize my career in the NFL with Washington, uh, but accomplish off the field is due to you know what what I learned from being around Coach Spurrier, and um, I, I think it's funny now that he's not coaching anymore. How many of the other fan bases actually acknowledge Coach Spurrier? You, you didn't want to like him if you weren't a Florida fan, but I think people now, now realize that you're innovative, changed the way football was played in this conference and college football in, in general. A, a fun, entertaining brand of of. Uh, honesty you know the the way that he was sees it and um you know i think people can appreciate that now that he's not actively in the league yeah yeah now that you, now that you aren't putting 50 on georgia and uh, sanford stadium i think you were you might have been a part of that debacle chris uh now that the gators aren't running it up on everybody i think everybody does have an appreciation for the 1990s and coach spurrier and what he did in the color and the Hey, Chris, do you mind talking a little bit more while Mike is coming back and just uh, how you think the two teams match up in the finals? Well, let me actually go back to kind of what Mike was talking about there. You know, um, he, he mentioned the appreciation for, for what SEC fans had for the teams in the mid-90s. Now, I think there are big-time, like, within this conference, and we were that in the 90s. Uh, Alabama's been that here recently and it's been past Georgia watching what Georgia's been able to do the last couple of years with, with Kirby success that he's had and, and um, getting over that 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 41 year national title last, last year losing all that they lost from that team uh, from 21 and, and then reloading on defense and not missing a beat getting right back to the the national winning an SEC championship I mean it, it really is I think it's fun for us as, as people to see when there's a special program that's able to have the dominance like we had in the 90s like and like Georgia looks like they're uh, on the on the cusp of, of uh, taking over present day as well well I'll tell you Kirby Smart's got it going a lot smoother than our transmission tonight for sure I feel like I feel like I'm going into different time warps here with Chris. I'm getting ready to see the 19 
uh, 90s version of Chris. Chris, I, I know you've had a really long day. I, I appreciate you joining us. I'm sorry we've had some technical difficulties tonight. I'm going to go ahead and, and, and send our Monday night show here to our halftime break. We're going to thank our sponsor, Ingalls, and recognize them. And when we come back, uh, we hope to have Jeremy Pruitt uh, give us his breakdown as well. So, Chris Doring, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing Thanks. you more on the SEC. Network. Yeah, I appreciate having me, Mike. You got it. Did you know that Ingalls sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingalls, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here, and that was Chris Doring. Hope you enjoyed Chris. And again, apologies uh, for the signal being a little uh, jumbled up there. I know that Chris had some issues. I got a little issues here. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a little bit smoother for the rest of the night. When Jeremy Pruitt joins us, Michael Carvel will patch Coach Pruitt through, and we can talk about uh, this Georgia football team and, and what we saw. And I know Jeremy, uh, talking with him, he was texting with me during the game, and it never leaves the blood, right? You know, you know that Jeremy can recognize everything that George is doing on defense. He's you know side by side with Kirby for six years in Alabama. I'm just dying to hear what he has to say about the way Georgia was trying to defend C.J. Stroud. I mean, C.J. Stroud was fantastic. And, and listen, I know there's some Georgia fans that when I said that I thought C.J. Stroud was the best player on the field that night, some people got offended and said, hey, wait a minute. What about Stetson? Look. Stetson was fine in the fourth quarter. He did what Stetson does. He came up in the clutch. But just from a pure standpoint, that's one of the best quarterback performances that I've seen against Georgia. you got to remember, uh, you know, that Georgia defense is, is, is big time. And anytime a quarterback can have that level of success, and if you're just watching and you see those darts that Stroud's throwing, see, that's why I feel so good about the matchup with Max Duggan. I, he's not that quarterback. He's not going to make those throws. He's not going to put it on the line. TCU doesn't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay, they don't have an offensive line that's as skilled as Ohio State was neutralizing Jalen Carter. And the one time 88 got through, Stroud escaped him in the open field, which I've never seen Jalen miss a sack. So all I was trying to say is that was a very special performance. Uh, certainly, Ohio State was a worthy opponent. It takes two to make an instant classic. 42-41, I mean, that was a fantastic football game when you think about all Ohio State did and what it takes to be successful against Georgia, how into it they had to be. And then to see the Bulldogs, and admittedly not their best game, Kirby Smart kind of let Stetson Bennett have it afterwards, said, look, he's got to play within the system. Kirby said, he's got to play better for us to win the time. You know, Kirby wasn't patting people on the back and, and, and you know, celebrate. I mean, it was like, hey, we got a lot of work to do. He couldn't wait to get back to Athens, Georgia, and watch that film. And somebody that can tell us about what it's like after a game like that. I saw Jeremy on the split screen. Let's call him up. I want the expertise, Coach. Tell me, and I know that you're not in, in Coach Smart's ear or, or with him every day, but give me an idea what you think happened on Sunday with Kirby Smart and that staff in that football game that we saw after that game we saw. Well, I, they're going to go back just like they have every week. Um, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, figure out, 
Uh, were there preparation errors? Uh, were there execution errors? Were they coaching errors? Um, and uh, and they'll address them from there. Uh, that's that's what you do every week, and that's what they'll do. They'll stay focused and uh, be efficient and and get those things corrected, and then um, they'll move on to the next to the next game. But I think what you're going to see, especially early in the game, um, there, there's, you're going to see some plays made where Georgia was in really good position on a lot of things defensively. Uh, and you got to give C.J. Stroud credit uh, and his wide receivers some things when they – the scramble drills, there's a couple of things, some things where he was just out of the, the reach of the defensive front. Hey, sometimes you just got to clap your hands and say, hey, that's a great play, you know. So, But there'll be things that they go back and look at, whether it's the, the two-minute before the half, the two-minute at the end of the game, um, what happened down on the goal line when they had second and goal at the two – you know, and end up throwing the the lateral pass there. Uh, obviously, the interception early in the game, um, and then you know you got to give Ryan Day credit. I thought he done an outstanding job, uh, probably the best job I've ever seen him do uh, with the play action passes, moving the pocket, getting the quarterback off the spot. I thought they done a fantastic job uh, trying to to neutralize Jalen Carter with the inside pass rush. You know and I think one thing that stuck out in this game that's going to be a little bit telling moving on, this is two games now that going back to the LSU game, um, this game with Ohio State, uh, when you talk about affecting the quarterback, I thought we saw Georgia's front get tired in both games. And there were some injuries. There's been some injuries at the end of the year. Um, and so you just got to give the other team credit. And, and again, Kirby and his staff, I believe is the best defensive staff in the country. They'll come back. And uh, they'll respond. And uh, I, sometimes it's not as good as you think it is. Sometimes it's not as bad as you think it is. It's probably somewhere in between. So that's probably what it was. Yeah. Well, you know, Georgia didn't give up the 37 yards. I mean, they did give up some darts down the field. But it wasn't like LSU where you saw guys get behind guys. I thought that it looked to me, uh, Coach, that they were playing a little bit more conservative on the back end um, and trying to keep everything in front of them. Again, I said before you came on, you're somebody that can look at this game and diagnose and know exactly what Georgia was trying to do. So what did you see from them in the first half that the way they were trying to combat CJ Stroud, because he, he throws it with a different velocity, different arc. I mean, that that's a, to me, that looks like a future NFL franchise quarterback. Yeah. I mean, you, there's, there's no denying the talent there, not just with him, the offensive front. I mean, Ohio state's, I mean, besides Georgia, then Alabama, probably over the last three or four or five years, uh, Ohio State, right, when you talk about recruiting and players and guys getting drafted. So um, they have lots of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and they got playmakers at wide receiver. But I thought they'd done an outstanding job moving the pocket uh, on trap, play, action, pass, uh, you know, pulling a lineman, um, moving the pocket, and then throwing back across what I would call throwback overs, uh, pylon plays, um, which really hurt Georgia early in the game. There's probably three or four times that they created these explosive plays. You get the quarterback moving to the defensive left, and most of the time these inside linebackers are thinking the over routes are coming from right to left, coming into the, coming into the, the, the quarterback's vision. But they've done a really nice job moving, setting the pocket, uh, and then throwing it back across the field, which there was not a lot of underneath help there. Uh, but I thought the big thing in the game was, uh, from a defensive standpoint, uh, was just C.J. Stroud extending plays. 
you know, extending plays. He has the threat to hurt you with his feet, uh, but also has the vision down the field. And I thought uh, his wide receivers done a nice job. You can tell they've played together. They've seen it look like they were playing in the backyard. But some of the throws he made, uh, there wasn't a, they weren't open. He threw them open. Uh, so you have to give him credit, right? Uh, but to me, just looking at the overall big picture, Mike, I mean, there, I mean, you talked about it, there's a couple of things. That, that I already said one of them. You know, Stetson threw a pick, right, that set up a short field. Uh, that's that's seven points. Um, there was a four-point play to me. Um, got second and goal at the, at the two-yard line, and we had the, had the lateral right and, and ended up settling for three points, which I think was a huge call by Kirby kicking a field goal there, taking the points because wasn't a lot of time, 10 minutes left in the game, uh, down 14. A lot of people say, hey, it's two downs. No, he, he took the field goal. He took the points. But that was a four-point swing there. All right, so you're talking about that's 11 points. The other big, to me, a big play in the game was you get the punt return down to the 30-yard line. Uh, I think that's in the third quarter, late third quarter there, get the ball on the 30-yard line in three plays, go backwards, I think, to the 32-33 and have a missed field go. Uh, took a sack there. You know, so now, now we're talking about that's 14 points, you know, right there. And then I, I go back to the two minute before the half was uncharacteristic. Um, you got to give Ohio State credit, finding a way to get seven points on the board. Three, probably understand, but it, it's unusual for Georgia to give up a score like that. We've all seen that. And some people may say, hey, <clears throat> but I, I go back and I think about Kirby before at the Tennessee game when he took the, when he ran the clock down right there and maybe they didn't score a touchdown, they took a field goal, but he made sure – that, that Tennessee didn't get the ball back. We talk about complimentary football, but, uh, hey, Georgia scored early. Uh, Ohio State responded. That's 21 points, Mike, that, that could have swung another way, you know. So, I, was, I was counting them up as you were going. So, so And Georgia what, still won. Georgia yeah. still won. Well, and, and, and Stetson was responsible for 14 of them, and he was still the MVP. You know, right. so he throws the pick on the short field that leads to a touchdown. That's seven. You talk about the bad play, the lateral that takes him from the three-yard line back to the 13. On, so that, on, that, on that play, Mike, on that play, I don't know if you remember, Stetson was looking back to the sideline, like under center. So I'm, I, it was like a look at play to me. So he's looking to see uh, – and th- he had some uneasiness about it. So I think it was a deal where they're going to be two fakes. They're going to throw the back pylon throw the old Patriot play where the wide receiver blocks, 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 then bam, they hit him on the back pylon. But you want to see that versus split safety, not middle of the field. And I and there's twice, if you go back and look at that, there's twice Stetson is looking back. I don't know if they're giving him a thumbs up or thumbs down, but when he come out from under center, you could tell he wasn't comfortable with that play. And obviously he made a he made a, a pass that's really not Stetson Bennett light, right? He's he's been pretty dead gum sharp and was the rest of the game. Well, particularly in the fourth quarter. I mean, I think he's one for four for 17 yards in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, he throws for, I think, over 100 yards. I mean, the 76-yard the pass. I mean, Ohio State. I mean, we're sitting here picking Georgia apart. Let me tell you, in Columbus, Ohio, they're picking themselves apart, too. They're thinking back to that. how in the world does Arian Smith get that open on 76-yard? I guess a guy falls down, but there's nobody else over there. I mean, Jeremy, you got that big of a lead. The one thing you can't do is give up a 76-yard pass, and I don't know what you saw there. I know I, I know that the coordinator, Knowles, very aggressive, very aggressive guy. I mean, you, 
you're pretty aggressive with your schemes. Kirby's pretty aggressive. This guy can get psycho aggressive at times. I mean, he really loads up and sells out. And, uh, boy, that was a really bad – that was a big swing right there for Georgia to get that seven points. And, and that, I think that might have been right after Kirby noticed the fake punt, maybe one of the biggest time That's another thing I'd ask you about. I mean, okay, you're a head coach on the sideline. You got whatever, 50, you know, assistants running around. How is it the head coach that catches it? Shouldn't there be somebody else that should have caught that before Kirby Smart that, that something was amiss with that formation? Isn't there like a designated guy that just knows what the formations are supposed to look like? And I'm sure, and I'm sure on the headsets there is somebody. Everybody's assigned something in the press box uh, that's responsible for each position, uh, whether it's punt return. Uh, I actually think that was safe punt, so the defense was out there, right? But I think it just shows you the awareness of Kirby, how involved he is and everything within the program. Uh, I think I read it. He said that uh, it was an un, it might have been an article you wrote that it was an un, it was an unusual formation it wasn't a normal formation right so he wasn't going to take any chances but to me I think somebody wasn't lined up properly there uh, that they were actually out leveraged in the formation and uh, you know it was obviously is a phenomenal timeout uh, but hey we, we've talked about a lot of things that you still on there Mike I lost you. Oh, he's coming back, Jeremy. Keep keep okay. talking on your phone. Oh, I got you. Hey, but but one of the things we we talked a lot about things that went wrong for Georgia, but what about all the things that went good? I mean, you talk about all these injuries that they had they had on the defensive front, the stops that they came up with during the game, the way the offense ran the football, created the explosive plays. Uh, and again, Georgia is one of these teams that can beat you like we're used to seeing, uh, where. The defense doesn't give up a whole lot of points, but they also want to shoot out. And that's the thing that's unique about Georgia. Well, and I was just thinking, you know, this reminds me of some of those Alabama Clemson games. And I know you were, you were a part of those yourselves. I mean, you typically didn't see Alabama defenses get shredded up, you know, but you, you were playing Deshaun Watson, a, a very CJ Stroud like talent. When we talk about arm talent and future NFL quarterback and, you know, I guess I would ask you, Coach, with these schemes that we're seeing, I mean, you know, Kirby's not reinventing the wheel. He's, he's doing a lot of the same things they've always done. There's only so many coverages you can play. I, I guess I would ask you, what is it that these franchise quarterbacks are able to do that can kind of short-circuit these elite defenses? We saw Because, like I said, we saw some elite Alabama defenses, uh, you know, give up some points. And then just in championship games in general, it seems like this can get this – this happens more often when I look at the scores – it's almost like it's played at a different speed or is it the indoor part? I mean, how would you explain the dynamics of what we've seen from, I guess, past Alabama games and, and now even the Georgia, we saw them give up 30 to LSU and, and now giving up, uh, you know, 41 to Ohio state. Well, um, probably one of the biggest indicators uh, of scoring points or, or, or keeping people off the scoreboard is turnovers, right? That's one of the big things. Georgia's defense didn't come up with a turnover. The next thing is, is explosive plays. You know, if you get big chunk plays, uh, you don't have to do it as many times over and over and over again, right? So that was one thing that Ohio State was able to do uh, a little bit with scheme, uh, a lot with C.J. Stroud extending some plays and making some really good throws, but there was probably more explosive plays in that game. And then to me, there's two possessions. You talk about 14 points. The 56 seconds before the half was yeah. – you know, that you got to give Ohio State credit for being able to find a way to not only get points on the board, but scoring a touchdown. 
Um, and then the, the turnover, you know, how many times over the last eight years have we seen a ball be turned over at Georgia and the defense hold them to three points or knock them out of field goal range? They found a way to get on the board. So there's 14 points there. So uh, I think there was a lot of good in the game defensively with Georgia. Uh, I think there's, again, I point out those two things, and you have to give C.J. Stroud and, and uh, Ryan Day credit for some schematic things that they did. Uh, and just, hey, he, he made a few plays in that game. You just got to clap your hands and say, cool, that was a nice play. Yeah. Six out of the last seven games now, Georgia's had a turnover that's led to points. I mean, that's very un-Kirby Smart-like. That, that's not that's not a good thing. I think Kentucky was the only game out of the last seven that a Georgia turnover didn't lead to points. So that's, you know, Georgia's turnover ratio this year, they're actually in the minus. Typically, you don't see teams win championships that are in the minus and season-long turnover ratio. Something kind of unique about this Georgia team is that turnover ratio. They've done a pretty good job limiting the big plays. That's something that Kirby Smart is, is proud of. And to your point, Jeremy, after the game, when I asked Kirby to assess it, that two-minute drive was what he was really disappointed in. To your point, he knew that, that Ohio State made some good plays and C.J. Stroud uh, and Marvin Harrison Jr. did some special things together. But that two-minute drive, he was really chapped about. I'll ask you this. You saw the replay on, on Javon Bullard. I know you've coached DBs before. You've been a defensive coordinator as well as a head coach. What were your thoughts on that play? And could Bullard have done it any different? And did the refs get it right? Yeah, I don't think he could have done anything different. I mean, he's he's playing like you're supposed to play, wide open. Uh, he's trying to make a play. Uh, I actually thought that he turned his head to try to make sure that he did not launch or hit somebody with the crown of the helmet. I'm going to tell you, when you're playing as fast as he's playing, uh, the target can change, obviously, from an offensive player based off where the ball's at. It's so hard as a defensive player to play full speed and try to avoid those things. I thought he tried to avoid it. Unfortunately, the young man was hurt on the play, and I, I was surprised that they actually pulled the – they 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 waved off the flag because usually if somebody's injured it never gets waved off um, and I think it was a huge call in the game. Uh, do I think they got it right? I think so. Uh, I hadn't really studied it, but I, I think they did. I, I have confidence in ever who the, the the officiating crew was calling the game. They would they're always going to try to protect the players first. Yeah, it was it was a bang bang play back of the end zone. Ball launched up high. Uh, two players coming from different directions, and and I, I agree with you. I thought he turned his shoulder. Now, part of his helmet probably did catch him, but I thought the shoulder hit first. And and to your point, it, it, it is a moving target, and we, we saw that with Lewis Seen a couple of years ago and Kyle Pitts. You know, he goes down and hits ducks down into him, and now it's helmet to helmet. I mean, I'm not, I'm just not sure what a defender is supposed to do uh, in that situation. But I thought that was the turning point in the game for a couple of reasons. One. That was a four-point play, right? So instead of Ohio State uh, having a first and goal at the two- or three-yard line, they're kicking a field goal. And now that's a four-point swing. And uh, bad for them, Harrison's out. 31 seconds left in the third quarter. He's not coming back. And C.J. Stroud in the fourth quarter without him was four of eight for 29 yards. I mean, now that had been an offense that was leading 38-24 after that field goal and, quite frankly, at times looked unstoppable when Stroud and Harrison were, were working their th themselves together. And I thought that was the biggest play in the game. I saw Javon Bullard got the defensive MVP. Um, Kirby likes using this kid. He came up big against, I believe, Tennessee. Uh, we've seen him on some sacks. You've probably seen a, a, enough of 22 in that nickel. I guess I would ask you, if, well, they call it the star. 
I guess I would ask you, since we have your, your expertise at our disposal, just what you want and what you need out of that star position. What is it that Kirby's looking for uh, for a guy like Bullard, uh, this, the type of talent and responsibilities that he has to play to play that scheme well? Well, it, it takes a unique uh, unique skill set, somebody that can play man-to-man with the best players on the field that are physical enough uh, to play the perimeter screens on early downs, to be involved in the run game, to be a good blitzer. And that's one of the things that I thought was huge uh, in the game is Glenn Schumann, Kirby, uh, Will Muschamp made an adjustment, brought a little bit more field pressure in the second half and come up with a, with a sack, I know, that kind of knocked them back out of field goal range or made it a longer field goal at one point and then made them get rid of the ball. Early in the game, there was a lot more pressure up the middle. But, again, with the star position, uh, I think being a great blitzer, you know. So there, there's got to be a threat uh, to come at any point in time. And and I think, obviously, he's proved this year that he's a really good blitzer and, and will challenge people at the line of scrimmage on third downs to get off the field. So, you know, t- t- technically, George is a 3-4 base, but when we talk about the nickel and the star, it's it's really a 3-3-5. A three, three, but it's a different 3-3-5 three, three, than the one that we see TCU play. And you've seen the conventional 3-3-5. Three, three, I think Arkansas might have played a little bit of that last year. What are some of the differences? Because, you know, in your head, you're thinking to yourself, a 3-3-5 three, three, team can't really stop the run. You just think from a number standpoint, when you see how these teams line up, it just looks a little – Odd. What are some of the advantages, disadvantages with, with some of these teams that play more of the conventional 3-3-5? You're talking about Georgia first? or No, TCU? not Georgia. Like the one like TCU, TCU. played conventional. So, like so uh, probably really uh, I can't think who the coach was, but 3-3-5, when I think of that, I think of Georgia military, uh, junior college. That's kind of uh, – Where it right started? Military. Yeah, yeah, the – Really, they used to run a lot of three, three, five. But obviously, there's, there's, um, I guess the team in the SEC would compare to would be Mississippi State. So uh, you got three down linemen, three linebackers, and and they can line up on the line of scrimmage, off the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of movement there. Um, but what I see is, is it can create confusion uh, identifying who you're going to protect. You know, when when it comes to protection. So you talk about. First thing in the in the throw game, four you're going to block four downs in the mic, right? When there's only three downs, so you got to declare one of these other guys that's standing up uh, is the fourth down guy. Then which one is the mic? And these guys moving around can change that, right? Uh, so you talk about protections. The other thing is is you know in zones and zone schemes in the run game, uh, there's a lot of ways, and they did this against Michigan a lot. Uh, you know, uh, plugging backers. Uh, which we see from Georgia's defense a lot, but it's usually with only two backers back there, but uh, creating different looks. So then you got these three guys in there, but then you got those five back guys back there in the secondary that any one of them can come at any point in time. To me, um, it'll be interesting to see if Darnell Washington is going to play in this game. Because one thing that I think that the way TCU lines up is when you put two big tight ends together, on one side, which Georgia has lots of history of, uh, creates that extra gap mm-hmm. uh, that can really, I think, create a soft area in the C area to run the football. Uh, so you think about edges, right? So you got all these guys kind of bunched in there. If you can get them sealed and get a guy kicked out, you know, you got a chance to, to build some run lanes in the C area. 
going to be a really important injury to watch. Darnell was lost earlier in that game with an ankle injury. He's questionable for the national championship game. Uh, that was a big hunk of the Georgia offense that was lost for that game. And, and Ohio State lost their tight end. He went to the hospital. with a. I mean, both of these teams were staggered. And when you lose players like that, you literally lose pieces and parts of packages that you had set up. And you look down at the play chart, and now you got that, that play, this play, this play, this play. You ain't running it without Darnell Washington. And I'm sure Ohio State felt the same thing when they lost Cade Stover. It was just such a great chess match. I feel like this is a game we're going to talk about, Jeremy, for a long, long time. Uh, but right now, I know a lot of people are turning their focus forward. And, I mean, I guess I would just ask you now, the scout that I heard and I talked to someone that uh, saw TCU in person said that, listen, this is going to be the best tandem of cornerbacks that Georgia's seen all year. They tell me that these defensive linemen are big, fast, and athletic, that they're legit, and they got a linebacker that comes downhill. I guess his name's Hodges. Pretty good story. Uh, they got a pretty on. But I just look at it I said, man, at the end of the day, are we really talking about TCU matching up with Georgia? I mean, this Cinderella story, uh, they didn't even win. They lost their conference title game. I think I want to say maybe seven or eight of their games were decided. Not like they were blowing people out. Uh, I think they were a four-win team. I mean, Coach, I know the portal can do a lot of magic, but uh, what, what to make of TCU? I mean, the guys in Vegas say it's a 14-point spread. Do you got an early, fast read, thought, reaction to this matchup? Well, I think if you look at the rosters, uh, I don't think TCU's roster matches up with Georgia's, right? But this is one thing that uh, being at another school, you know, when you play the Georgias, the Alabamas, you know, I used to only – they only put 11 of them out there at a time, right? <laughs> so we don't have to have 85 as good as them. We need to find a – let's start with trying to find 11, right? And I think if you look at TCU on both sides of the ball, start with it quarterback. Uh, this guy's a playmaker. Uh, he makes everybody around him better. I've, I've watched him for two games now. Uh, I'll do a little more study in the rest of the week just to see. But uh, I thought Michigan really tried to get after him. He he – very C.J. Stroud, like he extended plays by feeling the pressure, buying himself time. He was accurate with the football. Uh, he actually he, – he has the ability to run and create plays with his feet. They have some long, wide receivers. And one thing that was surprising to me in this game, when they got in the red area, they ran the football at Michigan and dominated them, I thought, up front. Uh, and 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 uh, showed a side that you know when I think of Sonny Dykes, I think of the ball going all the way around, right? Throwing the football, Mike Leach, that family. Hey, they lined up with two tight ends and ran the football at Michigan, so they have the ability to do that. When you look at them on defense, I agree. Uh, there were several pass interference calls in that game, right? Uh, and I'm not sure how much um, TCU. I mean, they they've kind of created some negative plays for Michigan, but. Man, Michigan had a whole lot of offense against them, uh, and 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 there was a lot of contested plays on the perimeter. Uh, but I, I see I see Georgia being able to score points in this game, just very similar to they've been all year. Uh, I think they'll be able to run the football. I think they'll be able to create some explosive pass games. One thing about TCU is they're gonna. I think they know their limitations in the defense, right? So to, to be able to stop the run, they're going to try to run pressures and run blitzes, and they're going to play man-to-man back there. And, man, it's tough when all of a sudden 
Georgia's running the football, running the football, and then they seven-man protect, and you got these fast wide receivers running over over here, over there, and you got tight ends that can get out. So I think Georgia's going to present a whole lot of problems that TCU has not seen. Uh, from a defensive standpoint for Georgia, I think, again, it's going to be very similar uh, to the last couple of weeks. Uh, so I think these games are going to probably pay dividends for Georgia's defense, a lot of lessons to be learned. Uh, they probably had to play some guys other night a little more than they thought they would when they went into the game based off injury, which will help them in this game. Uh, Jeremy, Mike's going to be right back. But can you talk about in detail what – what um uh, Ohio State did on Jalen Carter throughout the game? Well, you know, I, I, I like I said before, I thought they'd done a very nice job of moving the quarterback off the spot. And just for the, the people out here, we talk about the spot. Like <clears throat> when you're a pass rusher, whether you're a, an interior defensive tackle, an edge guy, a DB coming off the edge, whatever, it's, it's where the quarterback sets up in the pocket, right? So traditionally, if you throw the ball 40 times in a game – you know, 35 of them, the quarterback's going to be somewhere between four to six yards behind the center, right? I, I thought uh, Ryan Day did an excellent job with the with the half boots, the half rows, the split protection, uh, moving the quarterback where he's not always there, you know. So uh, you talk about these guys that weigh 320 pounds up front. They fight like heck to get to the spot when he ain't there, right? And a lot of it, a lot of the action, I thought they did a nice job uh, slowing Georgia's pass rush, their interior guys down. It came off of run actions. So, uh, hey, from a defensive lineman, you're keying the guy in front of you. You're striking. You feel like it's a run. They're getting their hands, hat and hands on there, striking people, and they're moving. But all of a sudden now they realize it's a pass. Now they got a counter. The guy's not where he normally is. He's 15 yards over there. Makes them tired. I thought that was an excellent job by Ryan Day and his staff to kind of neutralize Georgia's front early in the game. Yeah, I, mean, I just don't think TCU can do it. One of the things one of your mentors, uh, Mike Dubose, was, of course, a great defensive coordinator uh, before his tenure as the head coach. And I remember talking to Mike about playmaking quarterbacks. And at the time, I was talking about Damian Craig. And I said, well, don't you, how do you get after this guy? He said, you don't. He said, you don't. He said, you don't give these mobile guys a chance to beat you with defeat. You don't send the pressure. You sit back and you make them beat you with their arm. And I guess I would ask you after watching Duggan, I mean, do we think – now, C.J. Stroud, you give this guy time and he can fire those missiles. Like you said, there were some guys that were covered and this guy's able to throw them open or he's able to put it in some microscopic windows. I, I don't know that I see that out of Duggan. I don't know that if you're the dogs, you bring the pressure. Obviously, you got to change it up and, and do a lot of – different. you got to throw a lot of different pitches, right? You can't let guys sit on fastballs or blitz or whatever. But my point is – I don't know if you're Georgia that you really go after the playmaker because I'm not convinced that his arm has the talent to beat the Bulldogs. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you, you, you paid a lot of money to game plan and, and play these games in your mind. Do you have a thought on, on pressure and Duggan or not? Well, so, so just overall thoughts here, Mike, is usually if a guy has elite arm talent, he's a great one, right? Well, if you play zone – He's gonna. He's got the talent to to get it in the windows, right? Um, if if you're playing one that doesn't have the talent, then you want to make him throw it into small windows. Well, the one thing about Kirby's defense is most of the time, which I think is unique, it's kind of the family of defense we've all come out of. Is it's more of a deny the ball defense all the time. There is no alley oops. There is no layups. So you got to find a way to schematic to get it. 
if you want those. Um, I think Georgia is going to be who Georgia is. Uh, and, and, and I think that that's, I think that's how they need to play. Uh, if you, if you, to me, when I think about Georgia's defense, I think when you get off the bus, uh, they're, they're coming after you. Right. Um, and, and I, I don't think Georgia needs to change. I think they need to dictate to TCU. They need to go play Georgia football. So do I think they need to set back. I don't, I think they need to let it all go. You know, they got one more week. That's the way they play. That's how they practice. That's what they know. I think if they went out there and they rushed four guys and set back, I think they'd be looking over the sideline thinking, what the heck are we doing? I think they got to go play Georgia's brand of football. Somebody say, hey, what happened to Kirby, right? Hey, one of the things you texted me right after the game was you'll notice Georgia doesn't stay on the field very long to celebrate. You know, this psychology of what Kirby's done, and you called it before the season, you said he was the biggest winning edge because he doesn't he knew how to handle a championship uh knew how to uh make make sure kids didn't get complacent now, i mean that's no accident that he's pulling them off the field right after the game was that something that you were kind of looking for to kind of see how georgia was going to handle that or did you kind of already know in advance what what the kirby smart message and methodology would be after a win like that well you kind of know kirby's message um and you know, my, my mom and dad told me a lot of things. I didn't always do what they told me. Right. So, uh, but I just noticed that, you know, I mean, Mike, that might've been the best football game I've ever witnessed, you know, and I've watched a lot of games in my life. That was a phenomenal game, uh, from a fan perspective. Uh, but you know, so there, there, there should be a lot of celebrating, right. You know, but what I saw, what I felt like I saw, and I text you this, uh, because I'm sure you were in the stadium, but, you know, panning around, hey, the players celebrated, they hugged on each other, they loved each other. But what I saw is they went straight to the locker room. So they know that the business is not done. Uh, and and to me, that's something, that's why I text you that. I think that's a good omen for the Bulldogs. I think it is too, because I think Kirby knew that he was at a psychological disadvantage against Ohio State, much like 2017 Bama. You guys got beat by Auburn in the last regular season game. You get in the playoff. I went down there and covered you. You smoked Clemson. I, they didn't even look like they belonged in the playoffs when that Bama team, uh, you were the coordinator for, beat them down there in the Sugar Bowl. I don't, they didn't look like they belonged. I mean, that was, a, that was an incredible domination. I'm trying to remember if he even got a touchdown. I think they might have got six, maybe seven, 24, six, seven, something like that. Uh, but that Alabama team was loaded for – and I knew Ohio State – after losing to their hated rivals against Michigan, they had a shot at redemption. And Ryan Day talked about it. He said they did – they counted it up. They did 1,500 reps. They had guys in what they call the Woody. I guess that's their indoor, I guess, in the Woody Hayes Center, in the morning, in the night. I'm looking at these guys doing these interviews, man. They got blood in their eyes. I mean, these Ohio State guys are feeling like they can't go home without a – I mean, you could just feel it. And Georgia's, you know, I, I don't want to say that they weren't focused – they were pretty jovial and pretty happy. They just completed a, a 13, first ever 13-0, won the SEC. You know, they're, you know, they're, yeah, they're focused. And you could just tell Ohio State had the psychological edge. This game, I'm convinced it's all Georgia. Kirby got right up Stetson's rear, publicly called him out after the game. I saw it happen with my own two eyes. We're in a press conference. I said to Stetson, I'm throwing him a layup here. I'm the local beat guy, going to give Stetson a chance to talk about the heroics. I said, you, you know, you've done it again and again and again, Stetson. 
does it get easier? He said, well, I don't think I can answer that question. He said, I got to go watch film. He said, I feel like I played 30 minutes of bad football. And I'm looking at Kirby sitting there next to him. And I'm going, oh, yeah. There was already and – and I've heard that there was a pretty good chewing in the locker room after the game. So now you've got a Georgia team that even though, like you said, you and I are sitting here saying it's the best game, maybe one of the best games we've ever seen. Fans are thrilled. They'll never forget it. It's 42-41. It's Ohio And those Georgia guys are getting blistered because they're giving up 41 points because of the two-minute drive, because the quarterback gave up 17. That does not – right now, Those and those guys know Kirby well enough to know – that wasn't Georgia football. It was a great game, but that ain't how Kirby Smart wants to win game. TCU, you got to think, has got to be on cloud nine. They were supposed to lose. They beat mighty Michigan at their own game. That's got to be a team that's kind of got their, their chest puffed. A Cinderella has got to be feeling pretty good. So I'm kind of with you. I know the spread's 14. I, I don't know what your pick is. I know what mine is. I said it today. I, I probably got a little carried away on one of those shows. I, I said I think that Georgia is going to demolish TCU. And, and that's a big talk because I know TCU played well and, and Sonny Dykes is a great coach. But I just feel like this Georgia team got their edge back, Coach. Whether or not Darnell's there or not, and what you just told me about how you think Kirby will approach it defensively, they're going to go out there. And, and I saw Chris Smith do it. I don't know if you noticed it. Early in the game, 29 comes up and hits this guy, and his hat goes six feet in the air. They're knocking helmets off on the first drive. I said, man, th- these guys are going to be dialed in. I guess I'd ask you for your early read on this game. Well, my early read is is I think Michigan was two touchdowns better than TCU, and TCU won the game. It's uh, true. <laughs> I think Georgia is better than TCU, and I think they're a good bit better, okay? But you're at this time of year where you have injuries, uh, and everybody has them, but – Sometimes you, 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 Darnell obviously got hurt in the game and didn't finish. There was a couple of guys that I saw laid out there toward the end on the defensive side. Uh, you don't know the bangs, bruises. Uh, you got to go all the way out west. Uh, another thing to me that factors in to this late season games, these championship games, is the NFL. And you look at me and say, "What? What do you mean?" Uh, there, there's people out there. They're looking and seeing their buddies declaring for the draft, they're getting their agents. There's a lot of distractions, right? So uh, one more week, one more week, can you manage that part of it and focus on this game? Uh, This is where I think Kirby's got the edge. He's been there. He's done that. uh, And he knows, just like I know, that this will happen. So you got to get them surrounded and make sure and protect uh, if you don't, somebody else will try to drag them the wrong way and get them thinking about the wrong stuff. But I'm, I'm with you, Mike. I think Georgia's got the best team. I think we'll see Georgia's best ball, uh, and I think it'll be good enough. Yeah, 16 straight wins now for Kirby Smart when he's had more than one week to prepare for a football game, uh, and that goes all the way back to Florida. Uh, no, actually, it goes back before Florida, excuse me. Um, I thought that the flight I'd been getting that stat wrong. They did not have an extra week to prepare for Florida in 2020, 16 straight games where Kirby has had more than a week to prepare. Uh, he's won. So he, he's got a track record for this stuff. I think this is why he told us and said publicly to Stetson that, Hey, you got to play better for us to win. You just talked about what TCU is going to do and how they're going to sell out to stop the run. I think Kirby knows Stetson's going to have those isolated one-on-one situations. He's going to have to make those throws. So, 
You know, if you listen closely to Kirby, uh, the answers are usually there between the lines. And certainly you've uh, done a tremendous job uh, all season long being an interpreter for us, uh, Coach, giving us just the insights uh, that you're able to share uh, about the, the Kirby-isms and, and not just his personality, but maybe, you know, how he goes about doing things without giving away any company secrets. I know the Georgia fans certainly appreciate it. And it, it had to be different for you uh, watching these games. Usually you're on the sidelines in the middle of this stuff. I mean, I, are you relaxed? Are you able to sit back in the chair? Are you taking notes? I mean, what's the scene like when a, a the championship defensive coordinator and former head coach is watching the game? Has everybody got to be quiet? Or, or you got people around and, and conversing. Well, you know, other nights, probably the first night uh, that there was a little bit of motion. So me and my wife and my kids were up and uh, I got two little boys and, and obviously a little girl. So <clears throat> Ridge was born in Athens. OK, so my five year old says that he's a Georgia Bulldog. He was Flint was born in, in Tuscaloosa, so he thinks he's he's Alabama. And then Shelby was born in Knoxville. So they all think that's who that's who they're supposed to cheer for because that's where they were born. So uh, but they were all cheering for the Bulldogs on Saturday night. So we have a lot of friends on the staff. And uh, heck, I'm always going to cheer for the SEC teams. You know what? I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that Tennessee game. I got to be honest. I thought Clemson with that quarterback, Klubnik, and here Tennessee's missing two elite receivers, uh, hookers out. I was surprised by that result. And I look at the box score, and it looked like Clemson up and down the field. How big was that for Josh, and, and what were your thoughts? I mean, is, is Tennessee going to be the challenger in the East next year? And do we think that LSU now is going to be the, the big challenge in the West? you got any thoughts of, about these divisions moving forward and what we saw from Tennessee or even LSU today putting 63 on Purdue? Yeah, you know, just looking at uh, – I didn't look at the box score, but to me, watching the game, I thought Tennessee kind of dominated the game. I know Clemson moved the ball, you know, between the 30s a little bit, but uh, it was a struggle for them to throw the football. Uh, the quarterback took a beating. Um, you know, I, I kind of thought Tennessee really, really dominated the game. Uh, and surprising um, from the standpoint that they had some – they had some uh, – good players out. Jeremy Banks didn't play. Trayvon Flowers. Uh, you said the wide receivers, right? So um, I thought Joe Milton played really well, uh, much better than he did last year, right? So uh, you can see the improvement. And I think um, just use him as, a, as an example, right? So you look at where he was at last year, and then you look how he played the last two games this year. I think it goes to show you how much players improve over the course of time. You know, and lots of times – uh, we as fans, you know, we want it right now for them. We see all these highly recruited guys that come into all these places, right? And we're, we have these unrealistic expectations. Uh, some of them are ready. Some of them are not. And the big thing is, I think, probably is everybody, you just got to give them time. Let them grow. Let them develop. Uh, everybody gets better at something the longer they do it, uh, and especially in football. It's a developmental game. Yeah, no doubt about it. Coach, I certainly appreciate it. I'll tell you what, I think you've developed as an analyst. I think you've come a long way. You, you, uh, no, it's all serious. It, I think it's just a matter of relaxing and having fun. Like I said, I know the Georgia fans appreciate it. I, I enjoy it. Well, I think that was Mike's sign-up, Jeremy. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Any parting words you want to say to everybody? No, I just really enjoyed the 
the year and I appreciate y'all letting me have a small part in this uh, with Dog Nation and uh, we'll be pulling for the dogs next week. So go dogs. All right, everybody. We'll be back next week.